Earlier this year on Late Night Live, we reflected on the passing of South Australian feminist artist Anne Newmarch, whose Women Hold Up Half the Sky work was emblematic of the 1970s push for greater recognition of women's rights. Tonight we're going to look at the life of one of her contemporaries. Mandy Martin's paintings have been exhibited in galleries the world over, and her work, which depicts power, politics, and the impact of human beings on the planet, has been described as both bold and subtle, profound and breathtaking. A major retrospective is currently on show at the Geelong Gallery in Victoria, coinciding with the 70th anniversary of the late artist's birth. And we're joined on LNL Now by Geelong Gallery Director and Chief Executive Jason Smith, and a man who very much admired Mandy Martin's work and indeed accompanied her on several of her expeditions, Tom Griffiths, Emeritus Professor of History at the ANU. Gentlemen, welcome both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Jason, I want to begin with you, and we'll talk more about Mandy's life in a moment, but I wanted to start with Red Ochre Cove, which is in Parliament House in Canberra. For people who haven't seen it, maybe don't know about it, tell us briefly about this painting. Red Ochre Cove uh, was commissioned by the Parliament House Authority in 1986 and was then regarded as the largest painting commission in Australian art history. It measures upwards of four metres high by 12 metres wide in three panels. And Mandy Martin painted Red Ochre Cove uh, throughout 1987 in preparation for the opening of the building in 1988. And it is a vast panoramic landscape uh, of rapid drawn from rapid drawings she made in Rapid Bay on the coastline of South Australia. Uh, she would generally amalgamate various drawings into one painting. But it has a very striking shaft of golden light through the centre of the picture, coming through a stormy but very beautiful sky. And this is based on, the entire composition is based on Tom Roberts's painting uh, that people see before they go in to see Mandy Martin's painting, which is the 1901 opening of Parliament, House, Parliament in Melbourne in the exhibition building. So, she used the same compositional device that Tom Roberts used, uh, but drew attention to industry and Indigenous landscape uh, through Red Ochre Cove. It really is something. Actually, you, you had a kind of bird's eye view of, of the composition, didn't you, of it all coming together? I was the live-in au pair as a fourth-year art student uh, in 1987 when Mandy's then-husband, Robert Boynes, a uh, major Australian painter, was on sabbatical in the USA. Uh, so I, as one of Mandy's fourth-year printmaking students, decided to live in the studio and help her with the children while she painted this vast undertaking for Parliament House. And I saw that painting evolve over the course mm. of months uh, in a studio in Pialago, and it was a, an, ex an exceptional privilege to watch her work on this exceptionally <laughs> large work. And kudos for you for volunteering to work with children in that circumstance. <laughs> Uh, briefly, tell us about Mandy's early years, because I, I think I'm right in saying she grew up in 1950s Adelaide, which was then really quite a conservative place. She was born in 1952 and studied, and had a botanist father and a, a painter mother. Uh, and Mandy, from an early age, was precociously talented uh, in drawing uh, and was taught early by Ruth Tuck in Adelaide. Uh, she studied at the South Australian School of Art, but also uh, was drawn to an important course, Politics and Art, uh, run by Brian Medlin at the Flinders University. Um, so she, uh, from an early age, had a political bent, 
Uh, she was a, a great fighter for justice. She was a feminist and was important in that second wave of feminism that flowered particularly in Adelaide uh, through the late 1960s and early 1970s. Uh, and she found herself very quickly at the centre of the women's art movement as a young woman in her early 20s uh, when she began to meet people like Anne Newmarch and Robert Boyds yes. and a whole range of other people. I was about to get to Anne Newmarch and indeed the Adelaide feminist artist Prue Medlin. I think she was in the same circles. She was in the same, or uh, who changed her name to Prue Lamotte, but um, they're in the same circle. It was a wide circle of artists, writers, musicians, cultural workers. Uh, and indeed, at one time, uh, Mandy Martin was living and working with uh, Anne Newmarch. Uh, and uh, it was Robert Boynes who taught Mandy Martin screen printing, and Mandy Martin then taught Anne Newmarch how to screen print. So it was a highly dynamic, interactive uh, collective of artists working in Adelaide at the time. And Adelaide, under that decade of Dunstan, for instance, yes. um, you know, the 70s, uh, was a, a, an incredible hotbed of uh, arts and culture and, and support for um, a whole range of socially progressive initiatives that artists like Newmarch and Boynes and Martin responded to very productively. But they're also, you know, they will have a lot to critique in terms of uh, unions and uh, workers' rights and the rights of women and, and uh, sexual politics. So there's a lot going on in the work. Yeah, there really <laughs> is. And I'm, I'm going to bring in Tom in a moment, but just one more before I do, Jason. In in the late 70s, I think Mandy becomes a lecturer at the ANU School of Art and Design, which I remember when it was called the Canberra School of Art. At mm. this stage, she's, she's still in her mid-20s, isn't she? She's in her late 20s when she starts teaching at the Canberra School of Art, uh, and she became very quickly an influential, generous uh, and uh, highly uh, regarded uh, educator uh, and mentor, uh, where she taught for the better part of two decades. Uh, she was uh, an exceptional printmaker and uh, was a great teacher because her attitude to first-year students as soon as you entered the printmaking workshop and remember, the Canberra School of Art was based on the Bauhaus model of discipline-based workshops. So you went there to work uh, and learn your craft. Uh, she regarded the most sort of junior first years as emerging artists and spoke to you as such. So she was an incredible communicator and a great educator. Oh, well, I want to bring in you now, Tom. Tom Griffiths. Um, in, in the mid-90s, we're skipping forward. There's a, a lot to talk about. Mandy marries a beef farmer. Uh, moves to Mandurama, uh, which is on Radjuri country in regional New South Wales. How did this inform her work? Yes, well, her work really took an environmental turn from that point. It had always been there, of course, brewing uh, in her political work, as Jason has explained. But uh, from the mid-90s and through her marriage to Guy Fitzharding, who, as you mentioned, uh, is a, a very innovative beef farmer, a conservationist, and had a number of roles such as director of Bush Heritage and uh, a member of the Commonwealth Threatened Species Committee and so forth, um, uh, she really uh, began to design a series of what she called environmental projects. And I was lucky as a historian to be invited to join these expeditions. And expeditions they were, Mandy really worked uh, in very consciously in the explorer-artist 
tradition, um, like Ludwig, Ludwig Becker with Burke and Wills. Um, you know, she was there to document and record with scientific and ecological accuracy, as well as to transform our understanding of the land through her uh, artistic vision. And, uh, you know, her art... Um, has a practice, it was great privilege to see her at work because uh, she was responded so much to people around her. Um, her work was not just attuned to the landscape, but very socially engaged. You know, she would unpack her ironing her board. Iron, I'm glad we got to the ironing board, Tom. <laughs> Yes, that was that was her uh, theatre, if you like. Uh, that's where she unfolded her magic, and it w- enabled her to stand looking directly at the landscape, like a conductor with a score, and also to keep an eye on all the people around her. She she was often doing other things as well, perhaps conducting a painting lesson for a nine year old on the side. Um, she'd prepared lunch for all of us, probably. Um, but in this place, she was also. Um, uh, picking up sand from her feet, um, perhaps some ground ochre, um, pollen blowing into the wet paint. You know, it it really grew out of that place and that moment and was, I think she loved the pressure of the sort of opportunistic field art. Yeah, and well, she's doing it in front of other people. It's it's not performance art, but it's certainly art with an air, with an element of performance. And from the 90s, so not long, uh, around this period, she begins collaborating on projects with Indigenous people in remote and regional Australia. That's right. So uh, she's working at first largely with um, uh, white landowners in remote country and then increasingly um, she begins uh, to work with Indigenous owners and very in a very committed and political way. And uh one of the wonderful things about a series of projects with uh, Indigenous custodians and artists is that she sits her art alongside theirs and they invite her onto country and they paint together. Um, she did this um, at Puritjara in Central Australia, a wonderful archaeological site where she worked with the archaeologist Mike Smith and um, Ikunjia artists from Haas Bluff. She went to Paraku, uh, known also as Lake Gregory in northwest Australia, and worked with Walmajari people there uh, from the Moolin community. She went to Western Arnhem Land and worked with Bininj people, uh, and she also worked with um, uh, Wiradjuri artists in her own terrain in the central west of New South Wales. And uh, she was... Um, intrigued by what her European vision mm. looked like beside this Indigenous artistic vision. And, and each of those trips, and I'm, I'm telling you basically what you've told other people, firms her conviction that you need people on country to really look after that country. Yes. Now, that's the Indigenous insight that we have been so slow to learn uh, and, and understand. But for example, in working with Bininj people in Western Arnhem Land, they identified empty country as the most severe threat to their livelihood and to their health. And people on country is the best way to maintain the health of country and, and health, social health as well. And her art enabled that inhabitation and in some cases uh, re-inhabiting country that had been um, emptied by invasion. Uh, Tom, Mandy often inscribed or, or painted words on her canvases that, that 
that describe the cultural histories she encountered, but also other things like a, a geographical detail. That's right, yes. So sometimes it might be an inscription from an earlier um, visitor. Um, it might be um, latitude and longitude. It might be um, some record of where base camp was or um, some poetic insight. And in many cases, she's there, I think, echoing uh, that sense of the uh, the documentary artist, the expedition artist, the artist who is there recording for posterity. And uh, she, in that way, was evoking people like Sir Thomas Mitchell and Conrad Martins, uh, Eugene von Gerhard, um, and also, I think, um, uh, renewing this great tradition of the plein air mm. artists, you know, the outdoor artists' camps um, and... Uh, you know, we know Russell Drysdale and John Olson and John Wolseley, these other artists who um, I think identify with that tradition. And it was right at the heart of Mandy's work. We are hearing about the life and extraordinary work of Mandy Martin here on LNL. Richard Adie with you. And we've just been hearing from Tom Griffiths, who's Emeritus Professor of History at the ANU. And with us also is Jason Smith, Director and Chief Executive at the Geelong Gallery, which is having a big Mandy Martin exhibition. Jason, I want to come back to you, D despite Mandy's early work, which really prominently featured women and depicted class and environmental struggle, people rarely feature in her landscapes. Now, why is that? There was a moment where she decided that she didn't want to... Well, there was a moment of consideration around the exploitation of certain figures that she was working with. But Mandy, once she moved from Adelaide and through Queanbeyan into Canberra, uh, the Canberra landscape presented her with different images and forms and she hit on the very stark image of the sawtooth factory and the industrial powerhouse as a powerful metaphor for what she regarded as the end of civilization by destruction. Uh, this was also about the impact of settler cultures on landscapes. It was about the industrial colonization of the land. And so people disappear, but in their place are very stark metaphors for certain human conditions like alienation, oppression uh, and loss. So she she works very powerfully with metaphor after the figure disappears. Some of the metaphors are, are pretty direct. Um, if we talk briefly about the work called Oblivion from the 2019 exhibition, Hive is Futures, that's an arresting image. It's an incredible image and uh, just the sheer sort of bravura of the term Oblivion scrawled across a particular uh, canvas um, is a reflection not only on the loss of landscape, but one of, as Tom has pointed out, Mandy's enduring commitment to considerations of the impact of settler cultures on Indigenous systems and Indigenous cultures. And the way in which she worked with those particular texts was very deliberate. Uh, one of the things about Mandy's work is that it is so multivalent and multi-layered. She didn't produce one-liners. They need very careful looking and theoretical unpacking, but they pack an immediate punch, uh, as, you, as you've just sort of noted. Uh, so Hive's Futures uh, was a, an exhibition in Canberra that brought together uh, a range of major collaborations that Mandy had undertaken with her artist son and colleague, Alexander Boynes, and Tristan Parr, a composer and musician from Western Australia. 
that combined sound, moving image and painting, but reflected on specific uh, industrial landscapes in Geelong, uh, in the Latrobe Valley Mm. uh, and across in Fremantle. Uh, Remarkable uh, panoramic uh, reflections, uh, particularly around climate change, uh, and changing landscapes. Tom Griffiths, you, you saw this work with locals from Victoria's Latrobe Valley, which of course has been dominated by coal mining and coal burning to make power. Yes, well, Mandy had uh, first really painted the Latrobe power stations in the early 90s and she returns there uh, in just recent years, just a few years ago, and I was there at the opening of Rewriting the Score, which is one of these great panoramic performance pieces with Alexander Boynes and Tristan Parr uh, that was um, exhibited in the Latrobe Valley and a place which, of course, is undergoing all kinds of discussions uh, about the change to renewable energy uh, and the new energy future. And Mandy, I could see how many people in the room were energised by her work to talk about difficult things, things that they might not otherwise have spoken to one another about. And um, this is what I noticed working with Mandy always, that great art breaks down barriers and mm-hmm. it does bring people together. And it, it's, it's political because, and it's effective politi- politically because it transcends politics. It actually get, enables people to talk about feelings and not just ideologies. And I saw this at work in uh, her a campaign to save the um, Cooper Creek from an irrigation development in the mid-90s and uh, bringing together greenies, uh, white pastoralists and Aboriginal people to talk about their love of that land and wanting to defend yeah. the wild rivers. Well, you've, you've uh, written very, very movingly about that. That is where we're going to wrap it up. But thank you. I want to thank you both for coming in. Tom Griffiths, who's Emeritus Professor of History at the Australian National University, and his most recent book is The Art of Time Travel, published by Black Ink. And we also heard from Jason Smith, Geelong Art Gallery Director and Chief Executive. And at his gallery, Mandy Martin, A Persistent Vision, is on uh, from the 5th of November until the 5th of February next year. Jason's doing an illustrated lecture at the Geelong Gallery on Friday the 16th of December. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.